0: Welcome back to the Modern Day Overthinker podcast. Thank you for tuning in again. Today's episode is with a new friend of mine, another new comedian friend of mine, Pubali Kundu. We had a long episode, and not only a long episode, an interesting episode where we talked about a variety of things just across the board. Uh, talked about a uh, new phobia that I had never heard of before called trypophobia so we went into that we talked about her experience with a chronic illness that she had that affected her and created some trauma uh she asked me about my ocd i went on quite the ocd rant there for a little while so got in depth there for a little bit talked about uh medication and diagnosis and bipolar disorder Also talked about, you know, the generational differences with our parents and how they approach mental health in comparison to how we approach it today. Uh, That was interesting and also a great conversation. Overall, just this was just a great episode. We could have talked for much longer. I had to cut it off because I was like, oh, wait, the podcast guy probably wants to go home. So enjoy the podcast episode with Bubali. Keep up with her. She's hilarious. Awesome. I wish her the best of luck because she's going to be seeing a new specialist uh, regarding bipolar disorder and making sure she was diagnosed correctly because there's different types of bipolar. And she's scared about getting on medication, which is obviously a scary thing for everyone. And I wish her the best of luck. And can't wait to get to know her even more because, like I said, this comedy community, I've talked about it in the last podcast, is incredible. And I'm meeting a lot of new people, so you're going to be experiencing me getting to know a lot of these comedians because, as some people may or may not know, comedians, uh, most of them have a history of mental illness or substance abuse or both. So perfect for the podcast and not a bad thing that they're also funny. So enjoy this episode with Pubali. But yeah, we'll uh, go ahead and get started. Uh, welcome everybody to the Modern Day Overthinker podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, today's guest is Pubali Kundu. I said that correct? Yeah, you did. Awesome. Because I thought I was going to butcher it. Uh, well, I really appreciate you being on. Yeah. Uh, I'm making my rounds with my comedian friends now uh, because it seems like comedy and mental illness go hand in hand. So uh, I don't think I'll ever be short of guess. Um, But yeah, I appreciate you being on. And uh, yeah, we have a couple things we wanted to talk about, Uh, but yeah, like, First, I want to start out by uh, letting you introduce yourself and kind of give you give a little background, and then we can get into some topics here.
1: All right. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I'm Pubali Kundu, and I am a stand-up comedian here in the Quad Cities area. I am also in school to be an educator. Um, my parents are from a place in India called Kolkata in West Bengal. Other people might know it as Calcutta or something like that. Um, my sister was born there too, and then we came here to America where I was born. Um, so we definitely have like a lot of like Indian influences in our family when it came to like growing up and stuff. The stuff we would eat around the house, our priorities, the things that we did, stuff like that, you know. Um, I had a chronic illness growing up, which probably did play a big part in my like mental illness journey as well. I had pretty severe atopic dermatitis, uh, which is just a fancy word for eczema, but it was like really intense like it was pretty um, It was it was pretty much paralyzing for some years of my life And that led to So like, uh,
0: what age is really you really young?
1: yeah, real young as long as I can remember I was probably like a toddler when it started maybe even a little bit younger But then by the time that I was in like the seventh grade. I had to take like a whole year off of school mm. I went to the Mayo Clinic. I saw so many different doctors. We tried so many different things um, but at the end of the day it, like, sort of instilled this, like, phobia in me because mm. I was, like, chronically ill all the time. Um, and then I had, like, really intense tripophobia. Have you ever heard of that? That one I don't know. Of. Oh, so trypophobia is a fear of, like, patterns. A mm. lot of times people associate it with, like, holes and stuff. I'll, like, feel tripophobia. Sometimes when I'm looking at, like, um, a beehive or if I cut, like, a bell pepper in half, there are, like, certain patterns that um, after you've, like, been through, like, an illness like I've had, a lot of people in, like, the eczema community have experienced this. Like, um, it triggers, like, this, like, fear of, like, disease or infection when oh, okay. you see, like, certain patterns. Like when you, like, a lotus flower or, like, when you, especially bell peppers, when I cut the bell peppers in half and then the seeds, yeah. the way they're, like, kind of patterned out. Um, and like when you have a trypophobia attack, you actually, a lot of people break out in hives afterwards. So then it creates one of those patterns on your own body. So then it's like almost impossible so to mental, overcome.
0: Mental to physical. Yes, exactly.
1: Ah. Exactly. This association. There's so, so
0: it, many phobias. I've, I, I learn about new phobias all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's never, uh, I will never learn them all. That's for sure.
1: Uh huh. Absolutely.
0: This is a new, yeah, this is a new one for me. So that like affected yeah, And that time frame, like that age is a very transitional important time, very weird time of your life.
1: Extremely formative, yeah. yeah. Squishy little brains.
0: Yeah, very. That's when I started uh you no, know, developing my uh well, noticing or really impacting my life uh ocd impacted my life right around that age seventh eighth grade oh yeah, yeah. that's when it hit me like uh-huh. i didn't even have any experience with it before it just like came out of nowhere yeah
1: what were your like childhood experiences with ocd like
0: so with ocd it started out with me i had because um, there's different subtypes of ocd and uh it's mainly surrounded around fear and doubt uh so uh my first uh kind of fear that i can remember was there was a, a basically you create scenarios in your brain and um what happened was we did like a school picture um we had built a new playground at our school and they wanted to like showcase it cuz it was like new like state of the arc playground like um th- It was a big deal, uh, (laughs) apparently. And uh, so we had, like, each class did their own picture. And I went to Catholic school, so there wasn't that many kids, so you could easily get each class into one picture. Uh, So I remember being towards the front of that picture, and I remember having one of my first intrusive thoughts, is what they call them. And uh, it was, uh, the intrusive thought was that I, basically told me to flick off the camera which I didn't want to do <laughs> I like I, I mean I'm, I I like to stand out and I like to do stupid stuff at school and like but I wasn't like that guy um, <laughs> and uh, I didn't do it but my mind but this was before digital pictures came out so we had to wait for that picture to get developed between that time of the picture getting developed I had convinced myself that I did flick off the camera what yeah.
1: No, like you actually thought that you did it. Yeah. Did be- you have to like check the picture to make sure?
0: Yeah, I did. And I could still look at the picture and be like, oh, I can kind of see my finger kind of going up there. And like it was a whole thing. That's where it started in spiraling out of control and just doubting everything. And my biggest fear was getting trouble at school. So I literally, um yeah, it sparked this fear of getting in trouble at school and like having to go home. And I had pretty strict parents. Um, And, uh, I was really, always had a fear of my dad, um, and being punished, uh, it was never, like, a physical thing, like, he didn't, like, it wasn't anything like that, but, uh, I didn't want to upset my dad or disappoint him. You were scared
1: of being in trouble. I was
0: scared of being in trouble, and, uh, I did get in trouble a lot before that, which is weird, um, for stupid stuff, but I just, like, it was, like, almost like a phobia, it was weird, um, I don't know how else to describe it, but I ended up not talking at school for like a month. I wouldn't speak to anyone unless a teacher spoke to me. I would speak.
1: Were your teachers concerned about you?
0: Yeah, I had a teacher that took me kind of under her wing for a long time. Uh, Mrs. Pryor, who I uh, saw recently, which is cool. She reached out to me, actually. Oh,
1: you saw her prior to this?
0: Uh, Prior to this? Nice. Uh, (laughs) That's good. She's an English teacher, so she'll like that probably. Um... But yeah, she was. uh, She didn't really understand it, but she was very um, comforting and helpful, and wanted to give me help and noticed the things that noticed what was going on and really cared about me, and uh, that was really helpful. And then my parents got me into therapy, uh, and at first they misdiagnosed me. Of course, Uh, they actually misdiagnosed me uh, bipolar uh, right away. Within ten minutes, it was like the flavor of the week, <laughs> <laughs> like that. Like I don't know how else to describe it. My parents were like, "No," because uh, my mom's like, "I know bipolar," because she has. Uh, uh, we have sibling. She has siblings that had it, so she's like, "No, this is not it." And so we switched. Uh, it was a psychiatrist actually. So we switched psychiatrists, and then the, the guy like that I ended up seeing for a while he was like, yeah, this is OCD for sure. And then I was able to work on it from there and kind of understand it a little bit more. And I've it's been a ongoing thing ever since, but it's definitely a lot better than it was then. But, like, yeah, it was just, like, a completely new thing that I had to learn about and learn that I have to live with it. And, um, you know, there's obviously medication for it, but it's still always there, and there's certain things I have to kind of... I had to do a lot of therapy and, uh, a lot of exposure therapy of basically, uh, not doing compulsions that make my anxiety ease my anxiety because it ends up creating kind of a snowball effect and making it worse. So,
1: yeah, absolutely. So what kind of compulsions go with your fear and doubt OCD?
0: Uh, it could depend like checking things, um, yeah, like the like the like the finger thing, the middle finger thing. I actually had a fear of like any picture for a long time. Uh, so I would like clench my fists like this, which nobody can see right now. But uh, I would like clench my hands into a fist to make sure I would wouldn't do that. Uh, wouldn't do that. Uh, basically, intrusive thing that I was thinking about that I didn't really want to do. Uh, so I would do that. Uh, just extreme things to avoid uh possibly harming uh i got into harm ocd for a little while uh which actually has been mainly the most impactful which harm ocd is an, a subtype or basically you have a fear that if you don't do something um some type of compulsion or checking on something that something bad's going to happen to somebody else yeah Uh, so, that is one I've had to deal with for a long time, and I still deal with that, but it's, it's a lot easier now to deal with, it's, it comes and goes, because I can kind of recognize it, um, it's almost like a separate, it's almost like a separate part of, it's a separate part of my brain, it's like, I treat it like a bully, like, trying to talk shit to me, basically, and, um, I've gotten a lot better at recognizing it because I found a really good therapist that specializes in OCD and she's been really helpful. So
1: that is so important.
0: Very important. Uh, yeah. Cause uh, and also finding a good psychiatrist that's not just a drug dealer. Yeah. <laughs> Cause some of them are just like, it's like a, you go in there for a checkup and it's like, I w- it just reminds me so much of just like seeing like a sketchy dealer. Like it's like, Oh yeah, you're there for like a couple minutes. Like, what do you need? What do you, what's going on, here you go, and then you just leave. And that's not what it's like with my psychiatrist. My psychiatrist, like, when I have a session with her, it's almost like a therapy session every time. And she makes sure, like, you know, everything's going good or if it's not going good, what we can change, what we can adjust, recommendations, and she listens to my feedback. She doesn't just try to force things on me. And uh, it took me a long time to find somebody like that because there's – it's it's a crapshoot when it comes to therapists and psychiatrists.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've got um, my first psychiatry appointment coming up next week. OK, I got to admit, I'm pretty nervous about it. Um, I have seen a psychiatrist in the past, but it was under like sort of different circumstances. And like, I don't know, I just don't think that it was right for me back then. I didn't stay on my meds for too long, but like, I don't know, I'm pretty nervous to get on medication again.
0: It is scary. Yeah, it is scary. Uh, So when was the first time you saw a psychiatrist?
1: Well, you see, so um, I'd never even seen like a counselor or a therapist or anything, and it was my freshman year of college. I was at the University of Missouri, and then like I had like a mental crisis, and I went into like the crisis intervention at my university, mm. and then they institutionalized me. Ooh, and how I long? Had seven days. I spent seven days in the MUPC, the Missouri University Psychiatric Care Unit. And how <laughs> was that? Man, I met some great friends. I, I met bet. some great friends. Um, I also met some people that I will never forget. Um, Something that I'll never forget as well is that, like, um, there was these signs everywhere on, like, all of the doors. And it was, like, warning, short Mexican lady, danger of elopement. And I didn't know what that meant because I thought elopement to get married. But apparently it also means to run away. Oh.
0: (laughs) Oh, you had had some runners.
1: Yeah. I thought that some little Mexican lady was just going to show up and propose to me. Like, I... (laughs) (laughs) But um, the thing about the psych ward, though, is that like that was my first ever experience with mental health care. Right. And like they just want to get you in and out of there. You Mm -hmm. know, they were like, well, you got to be here for 72 hours because that's the police mandate. But then like we're just going to get you on some medication and get you out of here. So then at that point, they diagnosed me with manic depression and bipolar, too. Um, and then they gave me uh, medications for both of those. They, But like like you were saying, I uh, wasn't sure if I was um, diagnosed correctly because everybody was getting diagnosed with bipolar. Mm-hmm. That was like the hot one. They actually yeah. called one of the doctors, they called him Dr. Lithium because he was just like, oh, oh you have a problem? Here's some lithium. Like, <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. And they gave me this stupid book. They gave me this stupid hook, book. It was called I Hate You, Don't Leave Me. Have you heard of it?
0: No, not that one.
1: Oh, well, okay. So, like, I've talked to some people who have been at, even here in Robert Young, who have been, like, locked up in the psych ward for a bit. They give everybody this book. It's like, if you have, like, borderline personality disorder or bipolar, they'll give you this book. It's just called, I Hate You, Don't Leave Me. And it's just, like, supposed to make you feel like, um, when you act like that to people, that it's not, like, the mentally healthy thing to do, right? But it's way too long to explain that. I feel like somebody could (laughs) have just told me that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was just way too many words. Yeah. That could have just been one sentence.
1: Uh-huh. I was like, well, now I feel like a teenage girl and a crybaby. Thanks.
0: <laughs> so it made you basically, yeah, made you feel bad about having a mental illness. That's great. Not at all. Uh, how old is the book? Is it an older book, too?
1: Mm, that's a great question. I don't even know. Probably sometime I'm like, it's, it's, it's a 2000s book. You know what I mean? It wasn't like before yeah. that. Um, okay. I don't know. I don't so I know. know
0: if it was some outdated book that they just still hand out to people that's just way, like, not even in touch with reality.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it was somewhat realistic. A lot of the things that I read in that book were things that I've actually said to people, which is the truth. But I didn't feel good about it. Like. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, you're not going to feel good about everything. It's And when you're learning about yourself, it's, yeah. um, it's a part of the process. But, yeah, I understand where you're coming from. Oh, that's yeah. funny that they give that book out. Even in another state. Yeah. Ah, uh, man.
1: Okay, so then, like, um, last week, I had another mental crisis, right? So I called the Robert Young Crisis Intervention Line. And I was talking to the lady on the phone. I was like, I am just really not in a great place right now. I'm falling apart. Everything in my life is falling apart. I... um." strongly believe that my mental illness is the reason why I can't function in everyday society and I just can't take it anymore. You know, I'm like worried about myself. And the lady was like, mm, do you have any errands to run today? <laughs> do you have like a reason to leave your house, sweetie? I was like, yeah, but that's really not a good idea. I shouldn't be in like Walmart right now. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I could get arrested. <laughs>
0: She's trying to give you the old You know, if you just stay busy, type of thing. Exactly. That can help sometimes, but like not all the time.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely not all the time. No. Because so, like, I uh, went and saw a counselor through Robert Young last week, right? Mm -hmm. She also believes that my bipolar 2 diagnosis was probably correct and that I have manic depression, right? And um, so, yeah, yeah, it it could be. It could be. You know, I know that they diagnosed me so quick. It was like the day of because I was in the psych ward. You know, did they they do
0: any like evaluations? Like,
1: like this most recent time or originally No,
0: the first time.
1: The first time. Absolutely they did. MEPC actually did a really good job of this. It was sort of set up like Mayo Clinic because it's a college town. They had like a whole board of like student doctors and a couple actual doctors working with me one-on-one and also sometimes as a whole group. So to have like all of those multiple perspectives made me feel a lot safer. Yeah. Kind of like at Mayo Clinic when there's like a board of people working on you. Mayo's
0: like the Mecca. I know. Yeah,
1: but it's the same sort of like structure because it's a university town. Whoa, that would have been an honor.
0: Yeah, that would have been a yeah. You know why? Because Robin Williams went there. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So
1: you know it works.
0: R.I.P. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) she too soon. (laughs) That was that's a whole other thing I could get into, but um, yeah. Uh, Mayo Clinic is yeah, that's like top like top shelf medical care. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that place is amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And some of it is their resources, but a lot of it I feel like is their structure. Like no matter what sort of illness you have, they have a whole team of people running tests, doing research on you. Mm -hmm. And it's like the kind of place where it's like appropriate for one doctor to say to another one, like, I disagree, you know, whereas that's not something you find everywhere. Yeah, and sometimes you'll get tied up like, "Oh, you need to stay here another three weeks because we need to run all these other tests because this one person with this individual perspective thinks that it might be this other thing, which involves a whole different series of tests." You know, and then you get stuck there a lot longer, but it's worth it. It's worth it to yeah. be properly diagnosed.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So take me, take me through. We we were at a freshman year of college, so. Yeah. That was how long ago for you? Because you're a lot younger than I am. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I'm 23 now, and I was 18. So it was five years ago. Okay. Five years ago. Yep. So five years ago, uh, I went and saw my first psychiatrist ever, and they put me on a mood stabilizer and Mm -hmm. an antidepressant, and oh my God, I was not having it. I felt like a crazy person. Like, I was already mentally ill, but then I took these pills, and like I wasn't even a human being. It was ridiculous.
0: So what kind of side effects are you talking about? Like just super manic all the time?
1: It it was it was like sort of exacerbating what I already had. I remember there was this one day I laid in bed for fifty six hours. I didn't even get up to pee. Like I didn't get up to pee. I pissed in a bottle at some point. I had like a bunk bed in my dorm. Like I was just like I was laying there. I ate like six cans of cold spaghetti. It was like, it was, I just, it was, and sometimes my friends, they would like come into my dorm room and they'd like shake me on the shoulder and they try to check on me. They'd be like, are you okay? And then like literally four hours later, I'd be like all dressed up. I got like a bottle of Burnett's in my hand. I'm ready to go. I want to go meet a bunch of strangers. I don't know where I'm going to end up later. I'm, it's just like, oh man. It was. I was extremely manic. I would have these huge highs and lows. And um, I still really, really struggle with that. Like, there are days where I sleep for 15 hours, and then I, like, still can't get out of bed. Mm-hmm. And, like... I come home with so much work because now I'm supposed to be, like, a grown-up and have, like, a grown-up job and stuff, and I'm, like, in training to be a teacher. So I, like, wake up really early in the morning, and then I go to the school, and then, like, I come back with a lot of work to do afterwards, you know? But then I get so, so you're tired. Student,
0: are you shadowing or student teaching? Yeah, or? I'm student teaching right okay. now. Okay.
1: Yeah. But I just come home with so much work, and then I'm so exhausted that I just go to sleep, and the next thing you know, I'm behind, you know? And, like, I just... I swear, it's because it's because of my mental illness. It's hard to keep those routines. It's hard to just, like, do what everybody else is capable of doing all the time. And oh, then yeah. it pays off poorly on you. Like, people think that you're just lazy. They just think that, like, you don't want to put in the extra effort.
0: Yeah, it is tough. Yeah, routines, like we were talking about earlier, have been so difficult for me. Because uh, I'm, addition to the OCD, I'm major depressive, too. So I have... Those days where, yeah, where I don't want to get out of bed. I just want to sleep all day. And I don't, I want to sleep all day, but I don't. It's like you're just stuck. Yeah. It's super frustrating. Absolutely. But once you get out of bed, then, then it's fine. But getting out of bed, it's like, it's like moving a mountain. Like, it's ridiculous. Um,
1: I do not experience that. Like, when I get out of bed, it's just as bad. Oh, really? Like, I need to get right back in the bed.
0: Sometimes that happens. I, okay, I get that, but once I have, once I do something, and like I'm actually like I'm out of bed, and I do something, or like maybe I call somebody, because I usually have a bunch of missed calls or something because I ignore calls, because uh, I'm sleeping, and um, so that can help. Uh, but once I get out of bed and do something, I should say, then it's fine. But that usually takes a lot mm-hmm. for me to get there when I'm in that kind of headspace,
1: Absolutely. I won't get out a bed for like anything that I don't absolutely have to do. Yeah. Yeah. If it's like even somewhat optional, I am not leaving my bed for it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And these like optional things are actually very important, like drinking water and taking a shower and like,
0: <laughs> Oh yeah. It's so important to stay hydrated. That can, that can mess you up so much. Uh, I've learned that, um, and then I'm also on this on an energy drink kick again, which that's like, I go back and forth with that. Um, my relationship with caffeine has never been that great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's try to make up for the lack of sleep that I get, or even if I do get enough sleep, I'll still convince myself that I need caffeine. That's kind of like my addict personality as well. So I got that going on for me too. Oh yeah. Got a whole uh, whole bunch of stuff going on in my head that uh that like it's almost like uh it's just a constant battle uh that I have to deal with, but I don't look at it in a negative way anymore. Uh I used to just like you know, almost use it as an excuse uh but I can't look at it that way and um You know, I have tools and I've learned a lot uh, from going to therapy, uh, from, you know, being in recovery and getting on the right medications and, you know, finding the right professionals that I trust. Uh, That's helped me a lot. And um, also being able to to talk to other people about it uh, and having these conversations because they're very important because a lot of people. Suffer in silence. So many people suffer in silence, um, men and women. Men, I see it even more just because of that ego thing, uh, which is super annoying because I don't suffer from that at all. Um, but it's just, it, I get it. Um, and I see so many different videos online of men, like, basically breaking down to the Internet and just be like, I have no one to talk to. And every time I try to talk to somebody, they treat me like I'm, um, like I can just fix it myself. Um, and you can't, a lot of these things, you can't fix yourself. You want to, and it's a control thing and you get into this like a power trip of things you want to be able to control, but you can't. It's, uh, that's why people in recovery, um, That's why they say the serenity prayer so much. Even if you're religious or not religious, it makes sense because there are things you can't control and you have to accept that. It's what it boils down to. Uh, And yeah, you can't let your ego or pride get in the way because it will take you down very quickly. And I've seen that happen to multiple people uh, just because they were afraid to talk about it or, um, you know, they thought they could do something by themselves that, They really just needed to ask for help, and it's not – it's getting better uh, where it's getting easier for people to ask for help um, and uh, less taboo or less, like, shameful because more people are understanding uh, than they used to be. And we're still learning a lot about mental illness because, like, some of these mental illnesses, like, they haven't even been around that long. Um, Like, I don't think – I mean, with OCD, for example, like nobody really still people don't know what OCD is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like even like like Sigmund Freud. What was that? Like the 40s or 50s, mm-hmm. 60s? I don't know. No, 40s or
0: 50s. I would say 40s. or Yeah,
1: something like that. But like, I don't know. Modern day psychology has just changed so much within like one and a half generations. Like the previous generation is so confused about what is going on right now. Mm-hmm. You know, like so when I first started um, trying to get mental help, Right. So how
0: do your parents feel about this? My
1: parents were so like they just didn't understand, you yeah. know? They were like why? Do you need to see a doctor? Yeah. It's like, well, mom, I am constantly emotionally unstable. I have been stopped by the police on several occasions for having emotional outbursts in public. Like, I have been institutionalized in a psych ward after seeing a doctor. Like, clearly, I am a danger to society. And And myself. And myself. And I'm going to need to see a specialist, you know? And they were like, well, what is that person going to do for you? Those um, sorts of ideas didn't even exist in my generation, you know? Like, you're somebody who's just a little sensitive. Mm-hmm. And, but it's like, it's much more than that because I know that it's like... And a, they don't know better. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But at the same time, like, man, who wouldn't benefit from seeing a mental health specialist? Like, even There's if you didn't There's not really know, any negatives to exactly, it. Exactly. Except for, like, the money.
0: Y- yeah. <laughs> oh, don't get me started on that. I work in... Uh, I work with health insurance. I know all about how terrible it is.
1: Um, You work in health insurance? Oh, yeah. That is so awful.
0: No, I don't work for a health insurance company. I work for a benefits company. Okay. So basically what my job is is to explain to people their employee benefits uh, that they have through their company. So my company partners with a bunch of big companies um, so I work in a call center. We call it a service center. Isn't it it's a, tedious? Very tedious. Yeah. Yeah. It's detailed. Um, you have to know what you're talking about. I'm licensed actually Oh, in, for health and life insurance. Yeah. Uh, which was also a huge pain. Um, and somewhat expensive and not my company helped me out with it though. Um, so yeah. Uh, but I, I see people, Having to deal with financial hardships because of insurance and insurance companies not wanting to pay, or this the insurance is just not good. Uh, it, it's the it, the issue is not just the insurance companies; it's the providers taking advantage of the insurance companies, and that's what drives up. That's what drove up premiums.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Because providers, like if you look at like if you have decent insurance. Uh, you don't really notice it. But if you look at your explanation of benefits uh, when you build your insurance company and you see what they build the insurance company for like something that like, simple as like an, an x-ray, it's just like obnoxious amount of money. And the insurance companies pay it, but that's why your premium is so high. It's It's just – but people really notice that when the insurance company doesn't pay it and then they get the bill.
1: Uh, true.
0: Oh, it's so bad. Uh but yeah. Insurance uh yeah, that's that is a drawback, but one thing I do tell people when it comes to therapy, uh if you have a full-time job uh or even a part-time job in some depending on your employer, every company that I've ever worked with has what some something that's called the employee assistance program. Uh, the Employee Assistance Program is a free uh, resource that's provided by your company. Uh, and they usually work with, uh, it's usually typically with a third party uh, where it's basically a hotline that you can call and they will set you up with a therapist and they will pay for up to usually three to five sessions. So that gets you started.
1: They should ask you to sponsor them.
0: Uh, yeah. There's different companies that do it. Uh, so... Um, But not a lot of people know about that, and uh, that's, even if you don't have health insurance with your company, this is still like a standard benefit, and also life insurance, most companies have life insurance, a lot of people don't realize that they have a life insurance policy that their company is just paying for, so that's another free benefit, Uh, but obviously, you know, that's a totally different circumstance if you have to use that, but but yeah, uh so as far as your um, as far as your upbringing your family since your family's not from here, they probably view the mental, the mental health stuff way differently than for example my parents who um it, it may be a culture thing is it a, is that kind of a a barrier that maybe your parents like were like they were just it was just like completely unheard of like yeah, to go see a therapist.
1: Yeah, to, yeah, therapy isn't, like, extremely normal. It's not, like, super normal to be diagnosed with mental illness. But, like, a lot of your aunts and uncles have been diagnosed with mental illness. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that must be a huge cultural difference, just to, like, have a family that, like, knows that it's, like, a real thing that a lot of the population experiences. It's not just, like, some new thing that's coming out, you know? But, like, in my family, I don't know if anybody's ever been diagnosed with a mental illness because, again, like, this generation is seeing a lot more... Available diagnoses than before. Oh yeah, you know I don't know. I don't even know. Like what? What, what do they use? Like the DSM five now? I
0: don't know. I don't know what number they're on, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah,
1: but still, like they're they're constantly adding new ones in there because they're breaking down the symptoms into finer and finer categories, and it makes it really really hard to first of all receive an appropriate diagnosis and also explain to your family what's wrong with you.
0: Yeah, I didn't even know there was different types of bipolar until the last couple of years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I'm honestly like unsure which one fits me best. Like I've had several doctors tell me it's I, that I have bipolar too. I think that the difference is like the time frame that you spend in your highs and your lows. Mm-hmm. Like some people have them that are like within the day and some people have them that take like weeks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, But man, like I don't think that I could put mine down on a calendar like that. I just know that like on some days, like, it is not happening. And on other days, like anything except for what I'm supposed to do is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, that's gotta be tough to narrow down, but
1: something else that I feel like a lot of people are, uh, didn't really tell me about when I was growing up is like when I was young, I was itching to get on birth control. Like when I was like 15, 15, 16 i wanted to be on birth control so bad and like all the girls in my school were on it and mm-hmm. you know they were like it's gonna help you regulate your periods or whatever it's like they're already regular But yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. it's like
0: i'm pretty sure that's normal normal yeah.
1: <laughs> but at the same time so like i when i i don't take birth control because i have had several experiences with a pill heard and this I lose my mind. Mm -hmm. It is terrible for my mental health. Like I recently tried getting back on birth control and I told my roommate ahead of time, I was like, so I'm going to start taking these pills. And if you see me acting funny, you know, like you just go ahead and let me know that it's just the pills. Literally three days later, he finds me a hundred percent naked, screaming, crying, hooting and hollering. It's all that. I'm underneath the kitchen sink, like in the cabinet. And I'm just, like, bawling my eyes out. And he, like, comes up to me and he, like, touches me on the shoulder. He's like, Polly, it's just the pills. And I was like, what? <laughs> I made it all up in my head? Like, birth control drove me insane You're not the time? first
0: person to tell me that.
1: Yeah, yeah. They don't tell little girls that. They really should.
0: <laughs> yeah, they might now. Maybe. I hope. I hope because there's been, yeah, there's several examples. Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard it from a couple people. Uh, that's why they either they took a different route or they just don't take birth control at all.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, those hormones they really get you.
0: Uh, I bet. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah, if there was, a, that's what, that's what I'm saying. I don't know why there is not yet a male birth control. I've heard about them working on it, but it's it's like, yeah, and I'm sure it'll be the same thing where it's gonna mess us up.
1: Yeah, it would. That would be so gaslighting for men, you know. Because they would already have to, like, mask their feelings to uh, hide behind their manly egos. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. then they'd have all these internal emotions from being on hormones. Uh. Having all this extra estrogen in their body.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Why am I crying? I'm not acting weird. You're acting weird. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. That would be terrible. Yeah, I wouldn't need that on top of all the other stuff that I have to already deal with. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I've heard... Yeah, I've heard some horror stories about birth control for sure. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, there's, like, also I've heard about people, weight gain is another thing I've heard yeah. from multiple women uh, that got on birth control. It's just, like, hit, like, didn't take long. They were just, like, all of a sudden they had 25 extra pounds just, uh, just from being on birth control. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, yeah, and I didn't know all this until... I don't know way too too late way too late in my <laughs> life I should have known this a long time ago yeah. but yeah I didn't you know um I didn't hear about it until later but yeah it's really yeah it's something I can't relate to obviously but I can understand it it's just like yeah um because I expected uh you know as a man like you're like yeah she's on birth control I don't have to worry about it or you know, all that stuff it's like
1: you have a bunch of other things to worry about.
0: Yeah, but you have plenty of <laughs> other things to worry about. I
1: have been crocheting for three weeks and you didn't even notice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you get really into crocheting.
1: <laughs> no, that was just an actual thing I said to my 16 year old boyfriend once. <laughs> <laughs> Not that my boyfriend right now is 16. I meant like when I was 16. I was <laughs> like, like, that, that's do we
0: never a separate conversation. <laughs> 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 uh, I could turn the record button off if we need to talk about that. I don't. <laughs> Oh, uh, God. But um, yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you're, you're taking the, the next step to, to see somebody and you'll probably be able to tell uh, pretty quickly whether or not they are a good fit for you uh, yeah. if you've seen specialists in the past. So that's good.
1: What I'm so worried about is that I'm going to like get on a medicine and I'm not going to know right away and it's going to affect my career. You know, because I'm supposed to be working with kids, mm-hmm. and like there has been days where I like cried in my classroom. It's extremely inappropriate. Like, kids are not supposed to see the adult in the room being emotionally unstable. It is bad for their mental health. Yeah, you know, so it's like my responsibility as a person to keep it together. Mm-hmm. But, like, I am trying to work towards that by, like, seeing a professional and getting on some medication because I know, like, I don't think that I can do it without it. But this journey, like, I'm just really afraid about, like, how that's going to turn out for me in my day-to-day career.
0: Yeah. Well, timing's not terrible, though, because you're coming up on summer breaks not too far away. So exactly. you got that going for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you'll have a little bit of a period where you can make those adjustments because typically most medications you can usually see what they're doing to you within, you know, usually a couple of weeks. Um, I know sometimes they say four to six, but it really depends on your body and things like that. So, um, or how quickly you metabolize medication. Um, I've learned about that a little bit as well because I did like a, uh it wasn't a dna test but it was like a, was a spec- genome sequence yeah i did the genome test and to see what medications don't work well for me and what may work better for me it was mostly what don't work well for me is basically what it told me and there was only a couple things and one of them was wellbutrin and i was on wellbutrin
1: oh my gosh <laughs> so glad they got that figured out for you yeah,
0: i was like give me off wellbutrin now um I've heard mixed reviews about that one. Some, some of that, sometime, sometimes, sometimes. Well, works really well for people. It's, I mean, it's still a thing for a reason. Uh, it's been around for a while. But yeah, that was on the list, and I was like, uh, I'm taking that right now. So we should probably change that. And we did, uh, which was good. And um, yeah, just learning the doing those things. But the thing about that is, I had to battle with my insurance company on that one. Because that's one of those, it's a newer thing. So they're like, uh, well, we don't really see that as, like, a medical necessity. They can kind of go through that. Um, they can use that excuse. Um, or if it's, you know, they don't think it's, uh, it hasn't been around enough for them to say that it's it's an actual, like, uh, official, like, I don't know what the wording For it is, but they can basically use any excuse they want to deny you because they have all the power, um, which is frustrating. But luckily, uh, the company that did it was very, uh, I was able to negotiate the cost down to like a couple hundred bucks, uh, which originally it was 2,500 bucks. Oh. So, yeah. That's terrible. So, that would have hurt. And, uh, so yeah, I was able to get it down. And I think if you are under, they go by, uh, how much you, how much you make your income. So they base it off of that. Uh, so I don't make a ton of money, but I make, uh, decent money. So I had to pay some money, which is fine. But if I had made like less than like, say if I made less than 30,000, I think it would have been like next to nothing. They would have just covered the cost or they have like some type of grant or something. I don't know how they do it, but um, or it's a write off probably for them. Uh, But yeah, that was a cool thing to do. Uh, I'd recommend that if you're able to do it. Um, Most psychiatrists know about it now. Uh, I had no idea it was really a thing. Uh, My sister had done it uh, before I did. Uh, But yeah, basically checks your 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 body to see what works uh what medications are uh that your body's gonna say no and reject those medications and it's not gonna they're not gonna work for you so kind of because it's really it's hard to find what medications work for you because there's so many different ones out there and this helps eliminate those
1: yeah, absolutely. You know what? Uh, my sister has also had her genome sequenced before, but I've never done it. But I really should consider doing it if I'm going to get on medication, because I know like yeah. it'll tell you like you metabolize metabolize caffeine fifteen percent faster than the average person, or like they'll tell you like you know you don't metabolize well butrin well, or like you yeah. know, stuff like that. Yep.
0: Super important. You might as well. I yeah, mean, you might as
1: well. What is it like? Two hundred bucks.
0: I think that's what they got it down to. It may you may be able to get it down to less just because you're in school and yeah. You're not working. You're not working full time, no, obviously. No, absolutely. Not. You, there's no <laughs> way you can. Uh, so yeah, you may be able to get down to less than that. Neat. Or your insurance company might cover it, but doubtful.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You're probably still on your parents' insurance, I assume.
1: Oh yeah, for now. But I'm I getting st- to be that age.
0: I wrote that. I wrote that until I they kicked me off, basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. My parents and I actually literally had that talk this morning. They were like, you're 23 years old now. And when you get to be 25 years old, you know what that
0: means. Well, it's 26, actually.
1: Oh, okay, okay. I'm going to go let them know. Yeah,
0: let them know it's 26.
1: (laughs) Sorry, Mom and Uh, Dad.
0: uh, It's usually at the end of the month you turn 26 or on your 26th birthday, depending on the insurance company. I've seen some insurance companies that actually let you ride it out, like, the rest of the year, which is rare. But that's pretty cool if you get that lucky. (laughs) Um, but also your parents probably are paying an extra premium for you to be on your, their insurance. And that's probably why they're bringing that up.
1: Oh yeah. I'm sure. <laughs>
0: oh yeah. Spouses are more expensive than kids though. What? Dumb. Well, cause they're older. Oh. Mm. More likely, more of a liability.
1: Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've seen some kids do some pretty reckless things. There's some that's liabilities.
0: Tr- that's <laughs> true. Uh yeah, they factor that in as well, I think. Um, but it's usually not as uh, not as nearly as expensive as like, you know, somebody getting diagnosed with like cancer or something that's a astronomically impactful. Um, but yeah, segue. Uh well, Oh, yeah, that was like my sister texted me. Um We'll talk about, uh, we already talked about the bipolar 2 and yeah, the routines and getting into routines and being able to maintain routines is very difficult for people with mental illness and uh, I struggle with that. Um, I actually, um, I like my weekends obviously because I don't have to work but my structure during the weekends and my routines during the weekends is terrible unless I have like set plans like for example, like doing this podcast, like it was a set thing that I knew I had to do. So I knew I had to get out of bed for that. But if I didn't have something going on uh, or someone else involved, that's what I've learned. is someone else involved, uh, then I'm probably going to waste a good part of my day sleeping or not doing anything. More than likely sleeping, and it's bad, uh, especially during the winter and when it's the weather's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, can, I can do it during the summer, too, but, like, the seasonal depression thing is very real for me. Uh, yeah. I'm so glad that it's light out longer now. <laughs> I hate when they do the daylight savings thing. It's terrible. Um, yeah, when it, I get off work and it's already dark not good
1: oh yeah oh yeah and even like if you have to leave really early it's like dark when you leave and dark when you get back
0: oh yeah and I had to do that because I used to commute to work but now I work from home which is nice but also can be impactful to me mentally and it has been a little bit I've had to you know develop try to develop routines like I said I'm not good with routines but I'm working on it and you know as it's getting nicer um it's easier for me to be like, hey, I need to go outside, go yeah. for a walk or get sure. some type of light. I uh, feel that somewhat. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise I am, you know, sitting in a desk chair all day, which is bad for me mentally and physically. Yeah. Um. At
1: least you're, at least you're sitting and not laying down.
0: Yeah, that's true. At least I'm sitting up. Yeah, I definitely couldn't do my job <laughs> laying down. it would be impossible Um, and I would have to have like screens on the ceiling (laughs) I guess I could do it I could figure it out
1: As, like, um, a future educator, routines are literally so important. And you need to, like, be able to structure your own life into a routine and also everyone else's. You know, you have, like, 25 kids. Mm -hmm. They all have to have a routine. Like, there are scheduled times where you're supposed to have bathroom breaks and the times that you go to art and this time is language arts and this time is math and it's every single day, you know. Mm -hmm. The routines are, they're clockwork. Schools are clockwork. And um, I try so, so hard to instill routine in my life. But it's, like, it's almost like um. Did you ever do that thing like in school where you would have like a new notebook and it's the beginning of the year and your handwriting is really good for like the first five pages mm-hmm. and then it like deteriorates. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. It's exactly like that. Like I set up a structure, I create a routine. The first three weeks, I am in there like swimwear. I am putting in the extra mile. Everyone's like, "Wow, you're going to be so good at this. This is great." Or work. doing your,
0: or using a planner when you got yeah. your planners at the beginning of the year, you would oh, use yeah. it like it would be like yeah, I'm using it this year. I'm doing it,
1: Absolutely. and then
0: like a couple weeks in, you're like, Yep. Not using it at all. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Four weeks in, even though everything is literally the same, like you've got the same routine, mm-hmm. you got the same thing, and now you have more practice. Like somehow I, s- I just fall off the boat, you know, every single time. And it's, it just becomes so overwhelming and I get like exhausted. I get like emotionally and mentally exhausted. I can't keep up with my own routines that I create because mm-hmm. like I feel like I have to set up such like elaborate, structured, and overachieving ones for mm-hmm. other people to be proud of me. And then I... They're like unsustainable, you know?
0: Yeah. Yep. That can happen as well. Yeah. You got to have, you got to find a happy medium and that's tough. Yeah. Cause, uh, you know, most people, um, like myself, if I'm going to do something and commit to it, I have to like, as they say, full send, like completely like do it. Otherwise, I'm not doing it.
1: Yeah. It is one or the other.
0: <laughs> one or the other.
1: There is no halfway in the door on this. Me and
0: Zach talked about that, too. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he talked about things like, he's like, if I knew I wasn't going to be good at it, I just wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> like, for the longest time. Um, but he's learning that, uh, you know, that that can't be the way you live your life. It's just not a good way to live your life. It's, it's not a good way to look at things. Like, if I'm not good at something right away don't do it or if I'm not going to fully commit to this I'm just not going to do it at all it's just not you have to you have to try new things you have to you have to fail um you know failure is a big part of life Mm -hmm. I've learned that more and more because I used to be so afraid of it but that's one of the things I've learned with comedy like you know like I have had, uh, it's been such a hit or miss, especially cause I'm new to it. Uh, where like I'll have a really good set and then the next time it'll just be completely terrible. Yeah. That'll <laughs> and, happen. And it's just like, when am I ever going to be consistent? Uh, it's just like maybe never, maybe in a, maybe in a couple of years, uh, and figure out what works. And, um, you know, I know that I'm capable of, you know, of being, of being funny and doing it, but there's also a lot of other factors, like what type of mood am I in that day? And, yeah. Um, you know, if I'm really tired or, mm-hmm. um, you know, what's the, cr- what's the crowd like, or were these other guys funnier than me and stuff like that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Comparing myself. A lot of comparing. Um, I don't do that as much anymore. Uh, with comedy, I do definitely, but as far as day to day life, comparing my life with other people's lives and like where they're at, um, I'm getting to the point where I could care less. Good for you. Because it was so bad for so long. It's just like, especially when you get older, uh, when you when you hit your 30s, it's really weird because like the majority of the people you grew up with are married, and if they don't have a kid, they're uh they're either pregnant or going to be having kids very soon. Um, or they're like my brother who just, they've been married for like 10 years now, and they have no kids. They just have money, which is smart. They're like Leslie. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but they're... Um,
1: Being like worldly and financially stable and stuff. In they're their just 30s.
0: smart and just playing it out and then I think they were, you know, considering um they wanna have kids, but they were, you know, then the pandemic hit and then it was just like, uh, it's like definitely don't want to have a kid right now. Um so we're hoping soon. I don't know. My mom uh <laughs> my mom uh likes to she used to bring it up a lot more. She just we talk about it and she's ready to be a grandma. But uh it's like, yeah, don't talk to me about that or my and she Definitely not going to talk to my sister about that. I have a younger sister and uh, not getting any grandkids from us anytime soon. Um, but uh, there's been a little bit of pressure there. It's weird. Sure. Uh, um, and uh, but they're also like uh, my brother is 34. Um, so they're getting to that age where, uh, you know, it's probably about time. And they've done a lot of traveling. They wanted to do a lot of traveling and things like that and get that out of the way. They're doing it the right way. I understand it. It's smart. Um, Because, you know, once you have, once you factor a kid into your life, the game completely changes. Oh, yeah. And I can only imagine. Uh, I could barely take care of myself, though, so I don't really I
1: hope that I'm only imagining. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: It's like I can, yeah. That's just not uh not something i want to deal with and i yeah it's like their their world is totally different than mine yeah and a lot of the friends that i grew up with uh their world is totally different than mine but that's okay and i don't have to i did a I've been trying to do more posts on TikTok and Instagram, uh, just talking about different topics. And um, one I posted yesterday, just on TikTok, because it was super late. I was like, and I've been trying to play the play the algorithm game uh, to get more views because I still like the views, uh, which is, and I well, I want to get more of an audience for you know, it's. I went to school for marketing, so I I, I get obsessive about this kind of thing. Um, so it was basically about like how people, um, and I was talking to a friend about this the other day, how, um, especially in the Midwest for sure, uh, there's like this pressure and, um, I don't know if you've gotten this pressure, but it's more on pressure on women like to get married, um, and start having kids like basically as soon as possible. Yeah, sure. And it's like, um... It's like she said that she's known so many friends that have settled for men that they shouldn't have married because they thought they had like this deadline.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: To get married. Absolutely. Like I have to be married and, you know, all my friends are getting married, so I have to do that. It's like.
1: My ovaries are going to start shutting down. Yeah.
0: It's like what a horrible way to look at life. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's oh the comparison and social media and she we were talking about social media and she's like social media just made it worse And i'm like yeah that's true because uh, you know you have the gender reveals and you have the engagement proposals and everything's a goddamn competition
1: yeah
0: Ugh. it's it's
1: it's strange
0: it's very strange Yeah, it's very weird and uh i just yeah the way i use social media now is totally different uh I know I'll still like, yeah, if you post like, you know, that you had a kid or something, I'm, you know, obviously excited for you. That's a cool experience. Um, And uh, I'm supportive of that, of course, but uh, I use it totally differently. You know, I share my, I've been sharing like my comedy stuff and, you know, the podcast stuff and uh, sharing, you know, just my thoughts and my experiences and not just sharing just the good things about my life yeah and talking about that's what basically modern day overthinkers for is to talk about stuff that not everyone's talking about and talk about those bad times yeah. not just the good times because that's all you see on social media for the most part is most people sharing their their wins and not sharing the losses or right. talking about their experience with you know, failure or with depression or mental illness or whatever it is. Um,
1: Life is messy, though.
0: Yeah. Like, that's not a depiction of the real world. It's Uh just like this... Fantasy land.
1: Yeah. Oh man. I was thinking the same thing. Like um, after, you know how I said, like I had like a mental breakdown. I called the Robert Young last week, right? Mm-hmm. The night before that I had a super successful comedy show and people oh, yeah. were posting pictures on the internet with me like smiling from ear to ear. And I'm like, just having so much fun out there, but I'm like, you know, mascara down my face. I'm in bed. I'm calling the crisis intervention line. Like that depiction on my Facebook timeline is not my real life, you know? And everybody experiences that but for some reason like social media like we need to like advertise ourselves to everyone you know
0: yeah that we're doing good (laughs) yeah yeah it's uh I seen a lot of good things on social media but yeah it's and and I will never probably be one to get rid of it um just because they got me on the hook um but and I think it's a good tool and a good resource to get information out there that is good and that is helpful for people. Um, it can be used for good as well. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I was talking about this uh, with Zach as well. Uh, I Every year, I don't know if I talked to this about Zach. I talked to a friend of mine recently about this. Um, every year uh, since I have been in recovery, on my clean date, sober date, whatever you want to call it, I post something on Facebook about it. It's kind of a humble brag. I I got it. To be honest, I am proud of myself for it. should be. But another reason um, I like doing it or that I've noticed is every time I've done that, someone's reached out to me, like out of the woodwork, like somebody that I haven't talked to in years comes out of the woodwork and messages you like hey i'm struggling or they're like inspired by you know what i've done yeah and so that's another extra reason to post that because you know part of me is like you know you're just bragging you're just
1: absolutely not you put in the footwork
0: yeah and it's like i did put in the work and you know at the end of the day everybody else is posting about you know
1: Like, what did you do, have a baby? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I could do that.
0: I survived and didn't get wasted today. (laughs) So (laughs) that's a big win for me if you knew me five years ago.
1: So did you become sober after um, you left the Mayo Clinic rehab? No. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't
0: go to rehab there. Oh, okay. I visited there to go to rehab. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And it was a cool experience. Uh,
1: So what's your sober journey? How did you get sober?
0: Uh, so it happened in 2017. Uh, shortly after a couple things happened. So, uh, in uh September of 2016, I got a DUI. Uh, or OWI, I think they call it in, in Illinois, because it was in Illinois. Uh, it was a Wednesday night. Uh, I. Uh, at this time I was working at bars, uh, and restaurants in the service industry, uh, which is a very toxic industry, uh, and tough. Uh, I treat servers very well now. Um, I did before, but even more so now because I know how much it sucks, uh, a lot of the time because people are people, but, I worked in the service industry for a while. Uh, that's kind of when things got really bad. Uh, just cause a lot of people in the service industry, I'm not saying every single one of them. Uh, and it depends on what restaurant you work in, things like that. But I was in the restaurants and the bars where people were doing some stuff, uh, drinking a lot, doing all kinds of things. And, um, you know, I just got deep into that crowd and, uh, the times I I found myself going out a lot. Uh I was a bar rat. I would go out to different bars because I'd know people at different bars and know different bartenders and uh could get, have a pretty good time for very little money. Uh and um I remember it was a Wednesday night and I was at a uh, pub downtown Moline. Mm-hmm. Uh and Stayed there till bar close and uh, you know, which is 3 a.m. Um, I'm not sure if it's still 3 a.m. now or if they changed that in Illinois. Is it still 3 a.m. or is it I think 2 a.m.? it's 2. Did they change it to 2? I think so. Okay, that's another reason I like to come to Illinois because there was that extra hour. Um, but whatever, I was already in Illinois anyway, so I stayed till like 3 and I had um. You know, once I uh, had a few drinks in me, I was friends with everybody at the bar. That's how that's the kind of person I I am, and uh, I became good buddies with some, a couple of guys, and uh, they were staying at the hotel, the Blackhawk Hotel, and da- and Davenport, bougie, yeah, and I was like. And they were like, Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have an after party, we're gonna get these chicks over here, and I'm like, Yeah
1: Man, like, this sounds like fun. Where's the part where it becomes a problem?
0: Oh, you'll see. It sounds like fun, but so one of the guys is like, Oh, all right with you. And you know, I've been drinking all night and uh, as soon as I leave the bar, I get followed.
1: By like police? Yeah. Okay.
0: Um I didn't notice at first, and, uh, you know, River Drive in Moline, uh, the speed limit's like 25 or something. What? Well, I don't know if it's River Drive, you know, uh, what's the street, like, right by, uh, I got into Rock Island before I really started getting followed, I think, before I noticed. Mhm. Um, you know that, right by the stadium, the speed limit's like 30. Yeah. And that's too slow and yeah I was going like 40 45
1: seems like a 45 road but it's actually a 30 road yeah Yeah. it's
0: it's definitely weird everybody speeds on that road totally um but you know they had probable cause to pull me over and I got pulled over like right I was almost home free I got pulled over right before the Arsenal Bridge uh and uh right by Sherry Busso's office so I don't like her for no reason um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh so i had to do a field sobriety test all that good stuff um you know i knew i was i was done for uh so i ended up having to go to jail um overnight in rock island
1: oh overnight
0: yeah because i didn't have anybody to call at that time that was awake
1: yeah cuz it was like 3
0: and on a wednesday well yeah. technically thursday morning at this point uh-huh. and i was not calling my parents oh. <laughs> there's no way yeah um, so what
1: did you do in the morning
0: uh so i called a friend and uh i left him a voicemail and he got up and he showed up around 8 9 o'clock and bailed me out yeah um yeah i was like I think it cost like three hundred to get three hundred bucks to get me out.
1: Oh, actually, that's not so bad. I thought it was gonna be a lot more.
0: No, because you only have to pay ten percent. Yeah, and uh, my bond was like three thousand. Yeah, uh, something like that. And uh, yeah, so I got out pretty quickly. I was only in there for like five, six hours. Uh, I slept a little bit. Uh, felt like trash. Obviously, super hungover, and then I had to go to work. <gasps> yeah. Uh,
1: oh, after you spent the night in jail, yeah. Did you wait, Did you work at a bar? Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, I had to work a double because uh, I worked at two different bars at that time. That's so, so awful. So I worked the day shift, and then I had to go to my night shift, and then I and then I was living at home, and uh, that was the first thing that happened. Uh, and then I ended up losing my license for six months. Uh but I wasn't ready to I wasn't ready to be done. I slowed down a lot. I was like um yeah, definitely like it was definitely a red flag for sure. Yeah. That some things were not right. But you
1: were still like drinking and stuff, just trying to be safer.
0: Yeah. Just not nearly as often though. Yeah. Um mainly because I couldn't really afford to. Yeah. Cause I was getting hit with a bunch of fines and I had to take classes. Oh. uh stuff like that yeah they make you jump through a bunch of hoops and uh yeah so uh, so how would
1: you make the decision to go sober you slowed down then but then what
0: then i ended up i was at my friend's wedding and i met somebody at that wedding um who somebody introduced me to them they they, uh, they had told me that they uh this is somebody that i that I uh, have a lot of respect for. Um, And uh, he introduced me to this other guy. They're both business guys that um, have their own business or they're in the car business. And um, this guy had wanted to, he had, he had another business partner in Peoria and they wanted to start a cell phone repair business. And this, they knew that I was kind of a techie type of person. I had never done that work before, but I could easily learn it. And I, you know, um, went to business school and, you know, have a good background, uh, in marketing and things like that. And, um, yeah. So we started a cell phone repair business, uh, in January of 2017, uh, RIP QC phone repair. Um, (laughs) It lasted six months and went under. Um, During that time, uh, about right before it ended up closing and things were not going well and I got my car towed and uh, it was another experience where I didn't have money to get it out and I had to bum money from my parents. I used my parents like a bank for the longest time and I'm paying them back now um, with interest. Uh, because my dad's a businessman and, uh, I'm paying it back for my mistakes, which is, which is fine. Uh, and it was a lot of money that they, my dad kept track of every time he loaned me money every single time. It's like that. Oh yeah. And, uh, I racked up with, with the car that they bought me. It was, uh, tens and thousands of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that'll be paying off for a long time. Uh, so. That was when it was kind of like, it it wasn't a huge thing, uh, but I partied all weekend, got my car towed. It was Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I didn't have enough money to get my car out, so I decided that I, well, I had to reach out for help to get my car, uh, because I didn't have the money to get it, so I reached out to my mom, uh, and she went and got my car, and she brought it. To where I was working, because uh, I had partyed all weekend, but I wasn't going to drive because mm-hmm. I had just got my license back, and I had just got a new car because I had totaled in between that I totaled my car. As well, um, yeah. I wasn't drunk or high or anything. Uh,
1: unrelated.
0: Unrelated, but it was in between. Like there was like a gray area where I had my license, but I was about to lose it, and I totaled my car. <laughs>
1: Okay, so your mom is coming to pick you up to bail out your car. Did your fear and doubt OCD play any part in this? Were you afraid your mom was going to be disappointed in you?
0: Oh, yeah. I already knew. You already knew. <laughs> I already knew. Uh, I knew as soon as she got in the car because the car was going to reek of uh, reek of weed. Uh, luckily, I was in Illinois when I got pulled over because if I was in Iowa, I would have gotten more trouble. Uh, so, thankfully i was in illinois for that reason otherwise it was terrible because they find you way more and it's just way more of a crap shoot. it's just way more trouble to go through uh but yeah so i, was, I had to warn her about that uh because i didn't know who co- who towed my car if it was the cops or if it was a separate towing company and i was like am i gonna get in more trouble uh because i got the car got towed in iowa uh so but she ended up getting it out bringing it back and she's like and we're having this conversation and she's like and I started, and I finally uh, was just, like, completely... My parents knew that I was, like, struggling and uh, doing a lot of stupid stuff, but they didn't know the extent of it. So I kind of broke down and explained to my mom what I was doing and, um, you know, the extent of my use of drugs. I don't like to say exactly what it is, but just in case my employer listens to this. Felt that. Um, so, uh, but it was not good. Uh, so I... Broke down to her and told her everything. She's like, do you need help? And I was like, I I think so. Uh, and so I was at work and I couldn't leave because uh, I ran the store and I was the only employee. So I decided to call a, a crisis hotline. It wasn't, it wasn't a suicide hotline. It wasn't Robert Young either. It was something separate than that. I don't remember what exactly it was. I don't even know how I found the number. Uh, but the lady had recommended that I... You know, go to a recovery meeting, which I had never really been to one before. Uh, And that's what started my recovery journey is going to meetings. And I still go to meetings today. I'm very involved. I won't say which fellowship it is because you're not allowed to do that.
1: Oh, interesting. I didn't Uh, know
0: that. Yeah, it's an anonymity thing. Yeah. Uh, If any of my old-timer friends listen to this, they'll get really pissed off if I say that. If I say specifically where I go to meetings, which it's pretty easy to narrow it down. There's only a couple different types of meetings to go to. You're
1: treading in some dangerous water. Yeah,
0: you're treading in some dangerous (laughs) water. Um, So, yeah, I'll just say 12-step meetings, and you can figure it out from there uh, for the most part. Uh, So
1: you were, like, still drinking and, like, experiencing crises and stuff, and then somebody sort of just, like, navigated you towards a meeting, and then that, like, started your recovery journey?
0: Basically, because I was was finally ready to say I need to do something different. Yeah, yeah. I was desperate enough because it was just, I was just defeated for the last time. I was done. It happened so many times.
1: I have been around the ringer like that at least seven times this year already, you know? I got to get myself to a meeting. I've seen him on TV and stuff. Yeah. And, like, when I was in the psych ward group was the only like really helpful part of all that you know they might have like pushed some medicine on me, got me in and out of there Dr. Lithium did his job and all that but it was the people I met and like the group settings and everybody like sharing their stories and stuff. oh and yeah really directed it, me on the right path
0: it's the f- um they talk about it a lot it's the fellowship of people that keep you that keep you clean sober however you, that's that's another thing people some people say clean some people say sober. Um, That's a whole nother thing. But it's the fellowship that if if you get networked and talk to people and start getting to know people and uh, it makes it that much harder for you to go back out as they say uh, because you've developed connections with people and relationships. Um, I've developed a really good relationship with a guy who's almost twice my age. Uh, And he's been kind of like a mentor to me and he's somebody that I can reach out to whenever. He calls me more than anyone (laughs) ever has uh, just to check on me and see how I'm doing and just to talk about things that are going on.
1: Oh, man, that's wonderful.
0: And I have multiple people... That I can call at any time, and that I know I can get a hold of if I need to talk about something or
1: because of twelve step.
0: Yep, yeah. and I have a sponsor, of course, which is highly recommended. Uh,
1: the sponsor isn't this person who's twice your age.
0: No, that's my sponsor's sponsor. Oh, uh, yeah. grand sponsor. A grand sponsor. Yeah, you know the terminology at least. Uh, that is that is the thing. Um, but I actually met. I've met my my grand Sponsor before I had met my actual sponsor mm-hmm. um so he's kind of who introduced me to him and or talked him up I guess and uh yeah, so the the network of people has been what's kept me going and also helping other people find recovery and find you know the rooms and sponsoring people and helping them doing that's been very helpful it's uh you know, I've been able to use some of my expertise, uh, such as, like, um, I, I don't know how to do coding or anything, but I know a lot about WordPress and websites. So okay. I've been able to help uh, redevelop or develop a new website uh, for them, and uh, which helps people find meetings easier and things like that. So uh, doing stuff like that is very rewarding. And, uh, and it keeps me in the, they say keeping, you got to keep yourself in the solution, uh, and also focus on the things that made you do what you were doing, uh, made, why did you drink? Why did you use drugs? What is the underlying issue here? And that's why I've been so focused on my mental health because that's like the biggest reason is because I was trying to self-medicate of course. And fix my problems myself. Yeah, and uh, I never found the right uh, the right solution or the right balance um, ever. Uh, so that's when it was time to ask for help, and it's it's worked for me. Uh, the only thing I recommend to people is I would recommend to people who do get into recovery is uh, try to. Not use it as a uh, as a dating thing
1: Aren't isn't that like strictly against the rules?
0: That's the thing the, there are there are rules but you're dealing with people who break rules so
1: oh man that kind of sounds like they're setting you up. <laughs> it's a
0: conundrum because you're dealing with defiant people uh, most people who are in recovery you know have a history of not following rules. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, and it's tough because we're all human and, you know, you meet somebody and you have a connection with them. It's hard to ignore that. Yeah. Um, so I was in a relationship for two years with somebody that I met in recovery and oh, um, it was uh, it was a good relationship for me. I learned a lot, uh, but it didn't, it didn't end up working out. Uh, but now I have to see that person all the time
1: yeah but you guys are still friends right
0: i wouldn't say that uh (laughs) we don't hate each other um it's hard to develop a friendship after a relationship that long it's like that i that's the longest relationship i've ever been in so it really throws me off uh because i've always been kind of a kind of a loner and solo type of person um and you know when i was Drinking a lot. You know, I had a lot of flings and a lot of like girls I talked to for very short periods of time. Yeah. Uh, so I never really had a serious relationship until that happened. And uh, yeah, so it is, it is weird. Uh, it's something I've had to accept. But at the same time, uh, it doesn't, we don't see each other a lot. Uh, and we, don't hate each other by any means. I don't think she hates me. Uh, So we just basically, uh, we understand why we're there and we don't want to let our um, relationship, you know, that didn't end up working out affect the recovery community at all. And it hasn't.
1: Sure, sure. So
0: I've seen that happen a lot. Yeah. Where people go through breakups and then they're, you know, constantly like, they're avoiding each other, which we did, the, the, we tried to go to different meetings and things like that just because, you know, we needed our space and things like that, but um, we didn't make it a big deal and, like, you know, talk a bunch of crap about each other, like, yeah. to other people and, like, we tried to, yeah, because we didn't, we know we're both educated people and see the bigger picture and you know know why we're there and we know that we need to help other other people out and that's more important than any issues that we had and
1: it's so hard to it's like
0: awkward, but it's- when you're
1: like focusing on bettering yourself, and then like you feel so isolated from everybody else because you're trying to focus on bettering yourself because you know you've got problems and stuff, you know, and then you feel like isolated from society, and then you meet somebody else who's experiencing the same thing, and then like man, it's so hard to be in a relationship when you're trying to work on your mental health, when you're trying to work on your like sober journey, and, and she's stuff. trying
0: to do the same thing,
1: yeah, and you're both trying to do the same thing, and then like. You know, you find yourself, like, leaning on each other, trying to support each other, but not even being able to support yourselves.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of codependency there. Yeah. For sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that affects, like, everybody, like you're saying, because you guys have to be there for everyone else, too, because everybody's on the journey. So Mm -hmm. if you guys can't even help yourselves or each other on the journey and then it starts to fall apart, that'll affect everybody. Oh, man. It's so tough. It's so tough.
0: Yeah, right now it's basically um, we don't the only time we ever talk to each other now is when it's involved with uh recovery and talking about because we both do service work and help um and help the recovery community and do like the business meetings and things like that so uh i see her at least once a month and then yeah it's mainly just it's like a business casual relationship is how we've treated it and that doesn't uh, sound so bad it's not too bad. It's a little awkward because obviously it's like this is a person that I used to spend a lot of time with and like, yeah, know on a very deep level, and she knows things about me that not a lot of people know. And that's uh, nice though. Yeah, uh, but she's in a new relationship, which is another curveball. Uh huh. Um, so that threw me off for a little bit. Uh, so because I was like, oh man, I was like that was another comparison thing like why am i not in another relationship why Aww. where like and then i was like well i don't need to be in another relationship i don't need another person i'm not saying she needs another person or anything like that but she got another relationship you know um and i think it is easier if you're a remotely attractive woman you can easily find a dude <laughs> um i mean i don't know if that's that's just my observation. But
1: also, if you care about your mental health, like you have to find the right one.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Ugh. I don't know much about this guy. I'm, I'm, I'm he, I haven't heard anything bad about him. So sure. Uh, I, you know, I wish I wish them th- the best, and I've, um, yeah, I just try not to uh, judge, you know, that relationship or yeah. look too far into it or. You know think like oh she just replaced Me and like I had all these kind Of crazy thoughts like that Aww. for a long Time and it was just like I obs- I Obsessed over that too yeah because there's Something called relationship OCD as Well which I did have and I Didn't even realize I experienced and it was always like Throughout that whole relationship I'm like is she The one Is she the one that is, she, is this the right person for me Am I really in love with this person Like questioning all the time Constantly and I was like
1: been there Oh
0: it's terrible and I, yeah. And eventually it was just like, I was like, for me mentally, I cannot do this anymore. And that's basically what I came down to. Yeah. Is I had to look out for myself. And
1: Right. Having the strength to walk away from a situation like that, it's near impossible.
0: It was so hard. It was one of the hardest things for me to do. And I know I completely, completely destroyed her when I did that.
1: Oh.
0: I felt really, really bad.
1: Right. And you guys were both in here to like get better, and it's like, oh, babe, we can do it together.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were. We tried to keep that separate, that part of it separate, because yeah. we had our own sponsors, and you know, tried to keep that part of it separate. And uh, but like
1: alongside each other. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it uh, it was definitely. So I'm definitely trying to uh, you know. I'm not, like, in a rush to get in a relationship, but, you know, I'm obviously... I've been single for a while. I've been working on myself. I've been doing a lot of good things, and um, the one routine I've been able to keep pretty consistently is going to the gym, which I never could do.
1: Good for you. What? Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I used to hate it. I still don't love it. What is it
1: with people going sober and then hitting the gym? Like, how do you do them both? It's a replacement. <laughs> it's like... I got...
0: I got to I got to find me some dopamine somewhere. Um yeah. I don't know what it is. It's
1: Does it really like put happy chemicals in your brain though? No. <laughs> I hear I hear people saying it but I think they're lying. Thank you. They are lying.
0: <laughs> maybe some people maybe I don't work out hard enough? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I never like experienced like a huge like high yeah I feel good that I went and that I did it like I'm proud of myself yeah but it's no like nothing like any substance I ever put in my body yeah yeah
1: and it's is it enough for like is it enough positive reinforcement for your brain to like think about it the next day and be like you know what that sounds nice I would like to go do another one hour workout yeah oh yeah it is
0: um yeah a little bit uh But I also realized that I need to give my body a break.
1: Oh, sure, sure. Um, That's a great problem to have.
0: From the people I talk to um, that have been doing this for longer than I have, I I use my brother as a resource because he's been working out and has a good routine. He's a very routine type of person. Uh, We have a lot of similarities but a lot of differences. He's... um, he has a lot more structure in his life than i do uh and but he's been able to advise me you know of you know what work i cuz i didn't know where to start that was the biggest thing so i used to have to go to the gym with somebody because i don't know that I, I don't know what this machine's for i don't know if i should be doing this or fo-
1: tell me about it
0: it's too much. Yeah. So I see all
1: the pictures and the diagrams.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, am I even doing this right? Like, what? Um, but he's like, just focus on this. This is a strength workout. It's three different things. And you're good. I think we're. I was wondering. I was like, I thought he had somebody coming in at a certain time. So I was like, am I going over time? Um us see if he's messaged me. Okay. Yeah, messaged awesome. Yeah, yeah. We should probably wrap it up pretty soon though. But I wanted to talk about the. So we kind of went on a rant there, um, talking about recovery, and I could talk about that for a long time. Um, but before we get off here, and I've had a lot of people, because uh, I've asked people, you know, what kind of topics and what types of things they want to hear about, and um, you know, I know we wanted to touch on on trauma and your experience with trauma and kind of how you've. Uh, been able to obviously you're a survivor of trauma you're still here so Mm -hmm. kind of explaining that um, and you don't have to go into full detail it's completely up to you I've had people say some really detailed things it's totally fine Um, I like to keep things open here so
1: oh yeah absolutely well you know Different things can be traumatic to different people. Oh, of course. Like, no matter what your life is, there's something in your life that was traumatic for you. And it might have been something stupid. It might have been, like, you know. And, like, I'm actually a believer of this idea that there's, like, kind of good trauma and bad trauma. Like, there is trauma that um, makes some sort of, like, aversion for me to stay away from things that aren't necessarily great for me anyways, you know. But um, I've experienced trauma in my life in a lot of different ways. Like, there has been, like, like what I was saying about my chronic illness growing up. That was extremely traumatic for Oh, me. yeah. Yeah. And I would have, like, um, this intense phobia. It made it hard for me to, like, have faith that I could be out all day. Like, if my family was like, hey, we're taking a trip to the museum, like, I would be like, I don't know if I can do that because halfway through the middle, if I see something that triggers my trypophobia, I'm going to break out in hives and then freak out, you know? Mm. So then, like, and it was extremely defeating, you know, that trauma, and it it kind of created this, like, constant level of anxiety because I was always afraid that I would see something that would be triggering to me. Mm, yeah. And, um... Then I got sort of like a second chance, you know, it was so crazy. Like I'm, my family isn't like, um, a very religious, we're not a very religious family, but like there has been some times in my life that I was so down bad that I would find myself praying to like a God that I don't even know. And I don't even come from a Christian family, you know? But like, I remember it was 2019 and, um, my family was in India and, Everybody was always going out and doing stuff. And, like, we, were, we had a trip to Rome planned. And, like, I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't, like, move my arms out all the way. Like, my skin condition was getting so bad, I was pretty much immobilized, right? And I remember, like, crying and laying there and, like, praying to a God I don't even, like, know if I believe in. But then I got better, like, out of nowhere. And I'd never experienced that before because I've been chronically ill since I was just, like, a little kid. Like, my entire life I'd always been sort of, like, um set back a little bit Mm -hmm. because of my skin condition. Uh, And then that kind of got associated with like a mental health problem because now I have this phobia and then I have this constant like anxiety and stuff. But then I got better and my trypophobia has reduced since then. But at the same time, like I still see like the effects of that trauma, like left behind, you know, like, um, not just, uh, in terms of my phobia, but also like socially, You know, I was always, like, the neglected kid on the playground. I was having, like, a really hard time fitting in. I got stuck out of school a lot. And, like, I don't know. I just, I don't know. Trauma has stuck with me through those experiences even though I got healthier. And I can still see myself acting in ways that I would have when I was a kid when it was actually affecting me. You know, as if, like, today is going to be the last day that I can go out and have fun. You know, because I might be in bed for 56 hours tomorrow because I'm too sick. You know, I see that sort of like idea affecting me everywhere I go that like this might be fear. Yeah. This constant fear that like I won't get a normal tomorrow that like right now is my only time to like express myself and do whatever I want to because like I could be sick again. You know, so that's like one piece of trauma that has affected me. But also, like I've had other like um, types of trauma in my life that weren't like slow pieces of chronic trauma, but like kind of like all at once traumatic events. You know what I mean? I've had a couple of those in my life, too. And you know what? I've become extremely emotionally unstable for that reason. I find myself feeling this like need to explain it to everybody all the time because Mm -hmm. like I'm afraid they're going to think I'm crazy. You know, I'm gonna afraid that they they think that like um I'm acting out a line that like maybe they won't like me anymore. It's so it's like it's like yeah. I'm a little kid on a playground. You oh know yeah, what I mean,
0: I, st- I yeah. yeah, I st- still feel very much not like an adult a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, <but> <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely right, right, and I feel like all of this trauma sort of ties together. You know, like this idea like. I need to prove to this person right now that the way I'm acting is reasonable because I might not get the chance to prove it tomorrow, you know? Mm. I don't know. But, like, I'm working on that. I'm working on, like, just trying to explain myself less, you know? Yeah. Other people see you. They see you acting on your trauma. They see you acting out of line. They see you um, not holding up to, like, the structures of society, saying, like, that's, like, an inappropriate thing to do in public. You can't be airing out your dirty laundry all the time or whatever, Yeah. you know? But at the same time, like, we all have minimal control over the way we respond to things you know some people more so than others and it depends on the circumstance you know so like we all like to think that we create the way that we act to other people but like a lot of us don't have control over it all the time you know it's like a sort of response thing that just kind of happens and it comes out of your body before you even start to think about it you know so then like when other people see that you're not um behaving as your best self it's easy to judge other people and um for that reason i've always felt like i had to like over explain myself mm. but now i'm kind of getting to the point where it's like yeah i'm a crazy person so yeah just get away yeah. from me
0: Feel it. <laughs> you well,
1: don't need to know how this happened to me
0: <laughs> just be like i'm a stand-up comic they'll be like okay i get it
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's all you have to say
0: because <laughs> every single comedian especially the ones th- the ones that have been around for a while, are the funny, the funnier ones, I should say, which is, um, they have some type of, you know, trauma or past experience or some type of mental illness or some type of darkness inside them that, you know, that's the reason they do comedy. One of the main reasons they do comedy and they, they want to, you know, they want to make people laugh because they, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but it's like a, I haven't found another type of group of people uh, like this. It's very, it's very similar to people I've met in recovery. It's very similar. It's ever a lot of the people are getting drunk and high. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's besides that. They're coping a different way. They're coping a different way. But as far as like the openness and the camaraderie and the um, just the community and the acceptance is very similar. Yeah. Uh, I
1: think it's like that in like every sect of art, you know, music, theater, comedy, artists, they're troubled people.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. But it's just been like, but I've also heard that, you know, I think we have something special in our comedy community that I've noticed uh, because Zach was saying like that it's not like he's been. He's lived in other places, and it's not exactly like that. It, well, he didn't feel as accepted. Yes. Um, is it like that? Because uh, you obviously don't live in the Cities all the time because you go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, is the comedy community a little bit different?
1: It is a little bit different, absolutely. Because
0: you're in Bloomington, right?
1: Yeah, I'm in Bloomington. I'm in the Bloomington Normal area. And um, don't get me wrong, a lot of the comedy... There are
0: some great people, probably. Yeah, there are yeah. great
1: people, and they do know each other, and they've got like a tight little community just like we have, but it's much... Farther spread out because it's not like a centralized kind of hub because it's like people from Peoria people from like the outskirts cities like we're talking like within a 45 minute and I guess that is kind of the Quad Cities too. I forget that sometimes. Yeah, but at the same time, like it feels so tight knit here and I feel like that's just like a staple characteristics of the Quad Cities community in the first place. It's inherently different than any college town. You know, like if you're doing comedy at a college town bar, it's not like the same sort of intimate feel that you get when you're like at one of our open mics here in the Quad Cities, where all the comedians know each other, they all support each other. Several people in the audience have already seen all the comedians perform several times, and like, we
0: know the whole set. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's different. It's just different here. It's different than being in a in a college town or at like you know a metropolitan
0: bar. It's funny. Last night, uh, when I went to the show last night, Mike. Uh Mike Adralis, who's one of my favorite people. Uh he's such a character. Uh he was like he's like uh, cuz I told him that I paid to get in uh he's like it's like you paid to get in you've already you already know all of our jokes. <laughs> he's like you've already seen all this. And uh I was like yeah but it's like I I paid because I wanted to support it and support the show. Yeah. I didn't expect to get a free Pass just because I'm a comedian too. Like, I
1: charge all the comedians who show up to the Broken Saddle show. <laughs> you do? Yeah. <laughs>
0: I, I've never paid.
1: <laughs> well, no, no,
0: I, that's be, oh, those are the actual shows. Sorry, I only go I think you mean the open mics. The open mics is free, yeah, so it's free, right? Right. I think I. I don't know if I've gone to this show yet.
1: Yeah, you have. I remember because um, I, I opened the pay. mic up afterwards. Yeah, I think that you <laughs> did pay. I,
0: I did pay. Yeah, yeah, I did pay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have no problem doing that, and. Yeah, and Michael's like, I don't even think I'm going to get paid for this. I'm like, you're going to get paid for this because they've been taking money at the door, dude. Yeah. (laughs) There's a reason they're taking money at the door. And then sure enough, he got paid. And I was like, yeah. Uh And he's like, that's not why I do it, though. He goes, I want to be famous, Colin.
1: (laughs) He's always saying that.
0: Man. Uh, I was like, that's uh, not why I do it, but. I don't know how much he's joking.
1: Yeah.
0: You can never tell with that guy. It's,
1: you can never tell.
0: There's certain guys like where it's like, I can't tell if you're messing with me or not. That's the same thing with Schlichting too. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like I, that's how I got into comedy was Chris. Oh, cool. Uh, because I've known his, I've known his brother. I went to school with his brother. He's a couple years older than me. Um, him and my brother were really good friends in high school. And, uh, yeah, I've known him forever, and uh, I was going to shows for the longest time, and Chris would see me at these shows. He'd be like, when Oh, are you
1: was a little scene kid, too, huh?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he's like, when are you going to just go up there? I was like, ah, I'm not ready, I don't have enough, I don't have enough material, and you know? yeah, just a bunch of excuses, <laughs> and uh, one... And then I saw him post about an open mic at the Renwick. And I was like, all right, whatever, I'll just do the it. The
1: Renwick was your first open mic? Yeah. Man, that's yeah. kind of an intimidating stage for your first time.
0: It is. It was very intimidating. And it was very, it was okay. And I, of course, went over time.
1: <laughs> it's like <laughs> that. Who doesn't? <laughs> I was
0: like, ah. Uh, I wasn't paying attention to the like, because I was so nervous. Yeah. I was not paying attention to anything except for what I was saying. Like I hardly even looked at the crowd. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it may have looked like I was looking at the crowd, but I wasn't. I wasn't. Yeah, I do that. I
1: remember those days.
0: (laughs) I do that all the time. How long have you been doing comedy? Like
1: four years. Really? Yeah, it's been a hot second
0: oh nice I don't
1: even I, don't, I used to get so nervous I used to get so nervous and, and now I you just shaking in my I boots it just went out the window yeah I, it's because I failed so many times you know I yeah. spent two years and I just bombed every single show but people kept booking me anyways you know like I don't know why <laughs> yeah When I bombed like every we need a woman
0: show. on here
1: <laughs> exactly no that's exactly what it was every single time I swear <laughs> they're like is it hard being a woman in comedy it's like I don't know do I have another available weekend like <laughs> yeah <laughs> I get booked for so many shows exclusively because there's not a lot of women doing this but like, it's
0: like we need some diversity on this show just throw it yeah. on there
1: yeah two birds one stone yeah that's true <laughs> for real <laughs> no but they say that comedy is therapy they say that comedy is therapy oh, yeah. and like i used to get so nervous and i would write out my sets and i'd work so hard on my content and then i realized that like if i was too nervous all the time then even if i wrote the best joke ever nobody's gonna laugh because all they can see is that i'm so stiff in my body you know mm-hmm. like even if my jokes aren't funny you know like I'm always reaching for that like low hanging fruit now like I'm just doing potty humor every single show (laughs) you know what I mean and they seem to love it because like I'm not nervous anymore you know I go up there I just talk about the last shit I took and like (laughs) everybody has fun I'm like all loose in the body and stuff and it's gotten to the point where it's like sometimes I decide like Screw my set. Screw my set. I'm just going to talk about what's going on in my life. You know, I do that all the time and nobody ever says anything to me about it. So it's probably fair game. Like It is I, fair game. Yeah. Yeah. And I might make that decision like literally five minutes before I go up. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Like Those I had been the been my worst be- day ever.
0: Those have been my best sets <laughs> where I didn't really plan out what I was going to say. I kind of maybe had a few bullet points and that was
1: it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially that, like, traumatizing stuff, that terrible stuff that's Mm -hmm. like, I cried all morning. No, wait. I think that Mike actually did tell a joke like that (laughs) recently. Oh, yeah. He's like, I didn't just cry. I cried like a bitch.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But it's funny, huh? Comedy is therapy.
0: (laughs) It was, yeah, it was hilarious. And I was like, uh, I also probably should talk to you after the show. (laughs) 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 Like, there's been some times where people have been up there like, uh... That was real. This was a cry for help. <laughs> yeah, this is a cry for help. Oh man. And then you know how he used to tell he used to tell that joke about um, obviously it was a joke, but he was like depression's not real. Yeah. And now he's like guys, I found out depression is real. <laughs> <laughs> I've lived in America too long, is what he said.
1: It's like that.
0: <laughs> it's like, yep, that. Totally makes sense. It's hilarious. <laughs> uh, we should probably wrap it up before, she, before he kicks me out of here. All right. I'm surprised. I thought he had somebody else coming in. Maybe he just didn't want to stay that late. But, uh, yeah, um, thank you for being on. Uh, this is probably one of my longer episodes, but is fine. Uh, and, yeah, it's cool to have uh, two episodes in a week. I don't think I've done two episodes in a week, maybe ever. Uh, so I'm trying to be more consistent. Uh, so, I appreciate you being on and being accommodating. And um, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the Modern Day Overthinker podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening. Head over to www.moderndayoverthinker.com and follow all the social media pages and keep up to date there. I'll be posting content as much as possible. And. If you like the podcast, share it with your friends, subscribe, leave a review, really appreciate those things. And that helps a lot, helps us grow. And uh, yeah, thank you.